If you have a Bible with you, let me encourage you to turn with me to 1 Timothy and just hang out there in 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses in both 1 and 2 Timothy this morning. Today, we're launching these graduates out into the world. And to say that I am concerned for them is an understatement. A 2018 study by Barna Research revealed that only 4% of Generation Z, those born between 1999 and 2015, have a biblical worldview. Did you hear that? Less than 4% of people born between 1999 and 2015 have a biblical worldview. It went on to say that atheism is on the rise among teenagers And today's teens are less Christian and more confused about moral and spiritual truth than ever before. You need to understand this morning that the world that they are going out into is trying to indoctrinate them and you into a worldview and a belief system that is diametrically opposed to the word of God. Just days ago, President Biden officially recognized June as Pride Month. Now, that may not sound that unusual to you, but in conjunction with that, he put up a gay pride flag on the U.S. Embassy at the Vatican of all places. It was kind of a spit-in-your-face move. This past week, a Virginia public school teacher was dismissed And the reason that they were dismissed is because of their objection to a proposed policy on how teachers are to address transgender students. The Equality Act, which has already been adopted twice by Congress, is nothing about equality, but it is about censoring and controlling those who are opposed to the LBGTQ movement because of religious reasons. And almost every TV show out there today and most TV ads are promoting a lifestyle that is diametrically opposed to what the Bible teaches. Hollywood, Madison Avenue, and Washington have all joined together in an attempt to redefine natural law, biology, and common sense. The gospel is being censored in places while secularism, paganism, and false religions are being embraced. During the COVID shutdown in Las Vegas, casinos were allowed to remain open while churches were shuttered. In Berlin, the German government today is building a building called the House of One. That building is being built to house a Christian, a Muslim, and a Jewish congregation in one place. The reason for all of this is syncretism. What they say is, we all worship the same God, so why shouldn't we worship in the same place? But the good news is, what we're facing today isn't new. The early church was birthed during a time of moral and spiritual decay, a time of sexual deviancy, a time when when false gods were worshipped. And yet, in spite of all of that, the gospel prevailed. The church was born and history was changed. And God used a variety of people to do that, people that are like you and I that are here today. 
But in this process, God used a lot of young people. And one of those young people that that God used was a protege of the Apostle Paul. His name was Timothy. The Apostle Paul knew Timothy from his early childhood. He watched him grow up. He watched him mature in the faith. Paul calls him his dear son in one place. In another place, he calls him my true son in the faith. But Paul not only watched Timothy grow up, Paul played a vital role in the spiritual development of Timothy. And because of that, when the church at Ephesus needed a pastor, Paul appointed Timothy, this young man, to be that pastor. Now, Ephesus was an amazing city. It was known as the greatest metropolis in Asia. One historical writer called it the light of Asia. It was a magnificent city, a wealthy city, a flourishing city, a commercial city. It was a city filled with sports and arts and drama. It had a theater back in that day, well over 2,000 years ago, that would house 25,000 people. In Ephesus, they held the Artemisian Games every single year. The Artemisian Games were rivaled only by the Olympics. People from all over the world would come to these games. Ephesus was was located at a crossroads of four major cities. So people from all over the world lived there. But Ephesus was not only a flourishing city, a wealthy city. Ephesus was a corrupt city, a decaying city. The greatest building in Ephesus was the temple to the goddess Diana. It was the goddess, she was the goddess of fertility and love. But we're not talking about love, Christian love. We're talking about erotic, sexual love. And because of that, the temple of Diana had thousands of temple priests and priestesses who performed all kind of immoral acts in the name of religion. And yet, it was this city that God called Timothy to go to and to pastor a church and to make a difference in the culture. And young people, I want you to know that if God called Timothy as a young man to make a difference in his culture in one of the most immoral cities of the day, then certainly God can use you to make a difference. Perhaps that's why the Apostle Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, don't let anyone look or think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say and the way you live and your love and your faith and your purity. Now, now each of us should focus on that first phrase. Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Uh, just because you're young doesn't mean God can use you, can't use you. Now, that doesn't give you a reason to be arrogant. That doesn't give you a reason to be disrespectful. That certainly doesn't mean that you know everything. It certainly doesn't mean that you know more than than every other older person that lives. But what it does mean is that God can speak to you. And God can speak through you. And if you will open up your life to him and you will give your heart to him and you will listen to him, he will speak to you. And he will speak through you. And he will use you to make a difference in the world. And the way that he does that, Paul tells us, by being an example. The way that we change the world is by being an example. That word that is used here means to, be, to set a pattern, to be a model 
that others can follow. So God is calling you to be examples, to be a pattern in this world for other people to follow. But how? How can you do that? I mean, in a culture that has gone absolutely crazy. And let me tell you, the world that you're growing up in, the nation that you're going out into, it's totally different than the world I grew up in. It's totally different than the nation I went out into in so many ways. And if you're not careful, you are going to be deceived. You're going to be misled. And the enemy is not only going to keep you from fulfilling God's purpose for your life, the enemy is going to destroy your life. So how can you be an example? And how can each and every one of us be examples in a corrupt, crazy, pagan world like the world in which we live? Well, well, that's what First and Second Timothy are all about. And we could be here for days, literally weeks, unpacking all the things that Paul tells to Timothy in these two small letters, these two short letters. But what I want to do is I want to give you seven things, seven bullet points that I believe are foundational, fundamental, that if you will commit these to your life and you will commit to doing these things, God will use you to change your world. Here's, here's the first thing Paul told Timothy. Nail down your salvation. Now, why is that important? Why is it important to nail down your salvation? Because your foundation, or your salvation is foundational to everything else you believe. Your salvation is, is foundational to what you believe about God. Your salvation is foundational to what you believe about this world. Your salvation is foundational to what you believe about how we should live. And the Apostle Paul talked much about his salvation in these letters. And he even talked about Timothy's salvation in these letters. And one of the things that he told us is this. Everyone needs to be saved. Each and every one of us. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says this. He says, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Mark that down. Underline it. Write it on a piece of paper. God wants to save everyone. God wants everyone to understand the truth. What that means is that God loves you. God has a plan for you. Jesus died for you. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter the mistakes that you've made. God has a future for you in spite of your past. But here's the deal. If you want to experience salvation, you have to admit that you need salvation. You've got to admit you've got a need. And here's the problem in the culture that we live today. Most people don't even know they're lost. At the very least, they won't admit that they know they're lost. In the 70s, Billy Graham, I believe the greatest evangelist of, of the last several centuries, he said this. He said, you don't have to convince people that they're sinners. They know they're sinners. I believe that was true when I was a teenager back in the 70s. I believe people knew that they were sinners, but people don't know that anymore. 
The enemy has done a great job of deceiving us and leading us to believe that we deserve to go to heaven. We deserve a place with God. And yet the Bible says something totally different. The Bible says you don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve heaven. I deserve God's wrath. I deserve God's judgment. The Apostle Paul knew that. This is what he said to Timothy. He said, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I, I am the worst of them all. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come to give us a moral code. He didn't come to teach us how to live. He came to die in our place. And then Paul said this. He said, I am the worst sinner of them all. Don't miss this. He didn't say, I was the worst sinner of them all. He said, I am the worst sinner of them all. Here, here's Apostle Paul who, who literally gave his life to share the gospel all around the known world. Here's the Apostle Paul who sacrificed everything for Jesus. Here's the Apostle Paul who gave his life for the gospel. And yet, he's writing to Timothy, I, I'm, I'm the chief of all sinners. I'm the worst of all sinners. Here's what I know. When we come into the presence of God and we really understand who he is, how holy he is, and we begin to experience his love in a life-changing way, we won't think that we deserve heaven. We will realize we don't deserve it. All we deserve is God's wrath and God's judgment and God's condemnation, and yet God in his grace and in his mercy has offered us salvation free. He's offered it to us. Do you know you're a sinner? Before you can ever be saved, you got to know that. And then the second thing you have to do is you've got to place your trust in Jesus. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Timothy 2. He said, for there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. Don't miss that. There's only one who can reconcile God, holy God, with sinful man. And that's Jesus. There aren't many paths to heaven there aren't many ways to God. There's only one way, and that's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Don't let anyone deceive you. You can't get to heaven through, through Muhammad. You can't get to heaven through the hundreds of thousands of Hindu gods. You can't get to heaven through good works and religious deeds. The only way that you and I can get to heaven is through placing our trust in Jesus. This is what... Paul said in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, he said, You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, Timothy, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes, how? By trusting in Christ. Salvation comes when we acknowledge our sinfulness, that we don't deserve salvation. And we turn from our sin and we place our trust in Jesus. We trust him for what? Well, we trust him to save us and forgive us. But we also trust him to lead us and guide us. May I ask you a question? I mean, how could we say that we've trusted Jesus to save us if we're not going to trust him for what he wants us to do with our life? 
How can we say that we've trusted Jesus to get us to heaven if we're not going to trust him with the moral choices we make in life? You see, when we trust Jesus, we're going to trust him with every area of our life. Nail down your salvation. Have you been saved? Here's the second thing you need to do. You need to be careful who you listen to. It tells us clearly that in the last times, the last days, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites. They're liars. Their consciences are dead. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says this, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires. They will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Paul tells Timothy in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 that these false teachers speak confidently, and they do. Whether they are speaking as a politician, an actor, an athlete, a professor, or a pastor, they speak confidently. And when they speak, you know that they are a false teacher if what they say denies the word of God. You see, false teachers are always going to stand in opposition to the Word of God. They will tell you things like this. Well, that doesn't apply anymore. That was written for another day. Or that's not really what that means. They will say all kind of things to you to deceive you. And they will sound convincing. And it will sound so true, but it's not. You see, Satan is never going to come at you saying, I want to destroy your life. He's never going to come to you and say, I want to keep you from fulfilling God's plan for your life, the plan that's going to bring you joy and happiness. No, what he's going to do is come to you with lies and convincing words that are only really empty promises. I've discovered this. Satan is a bold-faced liar, and the people that he speaks through are bold-faced liars. As the Apostle Paul comes to the end of his first letter to Timothy, this is what he says. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. In other words, when you listen to these false teachers, however they may appear, when you listen to them and you buy into what they say, it will cause you to wander from the faith. So right here, right now, you have to decide who you're going to listen to. What is going to be the source of authority in your life. And that takes us to the third important thing that, that Paul teaches Timothy, and that is let God's word be your source of truth. Now listen to what Paul says. He says, All scripture is inspired by God, it's useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, it teaches us to do what is right. Now, the Greek word for inspired by God is one Greek word, theonumatos, which means God breathed. It, it means it comes from the very mouth of God. So, so the Bible, Scripture, comes from the very mouth of God. It's God's word, and God doesn't lie. So what that means is when you open up the Bible, it's truth. It can be trusted. From Genesis to Revelation, it can be trusted. Every year, I try to read through the Bible from, from beginning to end. I, I try to make that a habit, a, a pattern of my life. And every year, as I read through the Bible from beginning to end, 
I come to things in God's word that calls me to pause. And I go, what? What did you do, God? What did you allow, God? What did you say, God? There are things in God's word that, that let's just be honest, there are some things that are confusing. There are some things that are difficult to understand in God's word. But here's what I know. It's true. It's true. And if there are things in God's word that I have a hard time understanding, it's a problem with my understanding. It's not a problem with God's word. And we need to understand that God's word is timeless. The Apostle Paul says God's word teaches you what is true. It's the standard for truth. God's word makes us realize when we're wrong. God's word lets us know what is right and what is wrong. And God's word corrects us so that we'll know what the right way to go is. Here's what I know. Every one of us have a standard of truth in our life. How we discern, we gauge what is true. For some of us, it's our mind, our intellect. We feel like that if we can understand it, if we can explain it, then it must be true. When we do that, we're saying that we're God. We know everything. For other people, it's our experiences, what we've experienced in life. And, and our thought process is, if I've experienced this, then it must be true. For other people, it's someone from their past, someone in their life who they trust, they, they believe in, and so they think that this person is always right, and so they're their standard of truth. But what you need to understand is that the Bible teaches that only God's Word can be our standard for truth. I mean, even the Berean church recognized this. In Acts 17, 17, the Apostle Paul is preaching to the Bereans. And the Bible says that after Paul finished preaching, you know what they did? They went home and they tested what Paul said by the Scripture to see whether it was true. They didn't believe Paul because he was the greatest missionary to ever walk the face of the earth. No, they took what Paul said and they judged it by the Word of God. Because the word of God was the truth of their lives. Let God's word be your source of truth. Here's the fourth thing. Keep yourself pure. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 it says keep on keeping yourself pure. Keep yourself pure. The Greek is literally keep on keeping pure. Every day when you wake up, make the decision to be pure. Like the psalmist David said in 10, Psalm 101 verse 3, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at another woman, to keep myself pure. You make that decision each and every day. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, if you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. And then he says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. I wonder if the Apostle Paul had just gotten through reading the story of Joseph when he wrote those words, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. And there's so much today that stimulates our, our desire for impure things. I mean, goodness gracious. 
I, 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 I enjoy watching TV. I'm honest. You know, some people stand up and they say, I don't watch TV. It's a waste of time. I watch TV. I'm just, I do. I, I probably watch too much TV. And I enjoy action shows. I enjoy battles and fight scenes and, and cop shows. I enjoy those kind of shows. But what I've discovered is I can't find any of those on TV that aren't promoting values that are in opposition to what I believe and what I hold to. I was sitting down watching a show this past week and, and not going to share the network, but a commercial came on from one of the stars on one of the shows promoting the homosexual lifestyle, promoting the homosexual lifestyle. And, and I thought to myself, am, am I going to have to just get rid of cable? And I don't want to. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I'm being, I'm being real here. I don't want to, but I got to tell you, man, if you've got kids, you better be careful what you allow into your home. Because it used to be, it used to be that, man, it was just late night TV that some slightly inappropriate things were on. Man, let me tell you what. Immoral lifestyles are being promoted on kids' cartoons today. The world we live in, it's gone crazy. And you can't just wake up and say, hey, I'm going to be pure. It's tough. It's hard. It takes discipline. It takes the Holy Spirit in you. It takes the willingness to walk away from things. But if you maintain purity, the Bible says God can use you. You'll be a special utensil in his hands that he will use to accomplish great things. Fifth thing, pray. Pray. <laughs> and pray some more. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul says, I urge you, first of all, what? To pray. Before anything else, pray. Pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. Give thanks for them. Throughout God's word, we're told that prayer is our first line of defense. And prayer, get this, is our first line of offense. I, I, I don't understand a lot of things. I'm not that bright. But, but I know two things. I know one, God is sovereign. What that means is God's in control. God hasn't turned his loose of human history and everything, hear me, everything that is happening in human history is moving toward God's perfect will and plan. I know that. God's will will be done. I know that. And so as I live in a world that's turned upside down, I'm not worried. I'm not fretful because I trust God. And yet at the same time, I know that prayer changes things. I, I know the Bible teaches that God moves in response to our prayers. Prayer isn't just an exercise that we go through because God tells us to do it. Over and over and over again in Bible, the Bible, we see God moving in response to the prayers of people. Now, I don't understand all of how that works, how God is sovereign and everything is moving toward his perfect plan, and yet God answers my prayers. 
but I know it's true. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for people to be saved. I'm going to pray for government leaders to repent. I'm going to pray for revival to take place in Hollywood. I'm going to pray for God to do what only God can do because prayer changes things. But listen, hear me. More than changing things, prayer changes you. Changes you. You can't enter into the presence of holy God and see him face to face and it not change the desires of your heart. When you begin to pray, really pray, pray, talk to God, enter into his presence, you're changed. You will discover he's changing the things that you want. He's changing the things that you wish for, so pray. Make it a commitment. Sixth thing, see money as a tool to use and not an end to gain. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people craving money have wandered from the true faith, pierced themselves with many sorrows. Paul talks a lot about money in these letters. And I would challenge you. I mean, read all that he talks about money because it's important. And Jesus in the Gospels talked a lot about money. But I believe this is the bottom line when it comes to money. Hear me. Money is a great tool to be used when it's used for God's glory. Money is a terrible God to pursue. Did you hear me? Money is a great tool that can be used for God's glory. But money is a terrible God to pursue. The Apostle Paul warned Timothy that many people have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with sorrow because of their pursuit and their love for money. Solomon, the, the wealthiest man who perhaps ever lived, said, He who loves money never has money enough. Did you get that? If you believe that money is going to give you what you're looking for, you're going to discover that no matter how much you get, you're never going to have enough. Now I want you to hear me. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with having lots of money. But if God has blessed you with lots of money, you need to first of all see that as a gift from God. And you need to hold that money and those things that that money has afforded you to have in your hands like this. Saying, God, you've given it to me, and it's yours to use however you choose. That doesn't mean that you can't use money that God blesses you with to enjoy life, but it does mean that you're making every financial decision with the understanding that this is God's. And if he asks for every single bit of it right now, I'm going to give it to him because it's his. Here's the seventh thing. Make a commitment to tell everyone about Jesus. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul said, Never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. In chapter 4, he said, Work at telling others the good news. Listen, if we really do believe that there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, if we really do believe that the only way anyone is going to ever go to heaven is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. If we really do believe that, then shouldn't we be about telling others about Jesus? Now, I'm not up here 
preaching at you. I'm up here looking in the mirror because there is opportunity after opportunity after opportunity that's coming to my path to tell people about Jesus that I've let slip by. In restaurants, at the gym, in other places that God's just given me an opportunity. I know it's an opportunity, but but it's difficult. I, I don't know the person. I, I have to figure out what to say. I have to do all of that. And so I, I walk away from ever sharing. But if I really do believe that every single person I see every single day is going to spend eternity either with Jesus or apart from Jesus, and what I say can make a difference where they spend eternity, then shouldn't I be about telling people about Jesus? Regardless of where it costs, what it costs. I'm here to tell you, if you do these things, you'll be a difference maker. You'll change the world. We're living in unusual times. I believe that this is a line in the sand moment in history. I believe the line may be being drawn. Quite frankly, I believe the line has already been drawn. We're at a point where we're going to have to determine which side of the line we're on. We're either going to be on the side of the line with God or we're going to be on the side of the line with the world. Because we cannot straddle the line. It's impossible. We, we see this throughout Scripture. Joshua told the people as they were entering into the promised land. Elijah, Elijah told the people on Mount Carmel. Jesus told the people, no one can serve two masters. The apostle John, the, the one who was boiled in a, a vat of oil, we're told. The one who was exiled on a prison island, all for his faith in Christ. He said this. He said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father isn't in you. If the line hasn't been drawn, it's being drawn and if you choose to stand on the side of the line with God I want you to know I'm I'm just being honest suffering is probably in your future for you young people it's probably in your future more than in your parents and your grandparents future it's just a fact if Jesus tarries you begin to take a strong stand for Jesus suffering quite well could come Get ready. This is what the Apostle Paul said. He said, endure suffering along with me. Be a good soldier for Christ Jesus. He went on to say, don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Here's the bottom line. You stand on this side of the line, it could cause you to not get a job offer. It could cause you to lose your career. It could cause you to to lose a relationship. There's lots of different things that could happen More today than ever before in my lifetime, at least here in America. But you've got to decide what side of the line am I going to be on. And 
these graduates, they're not the only ones that have to make that decision. You do as well. I do. What side of the line? I want you to bow your head. And with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, I want to first of all ask you about salvation. Have you nailed down your salvation? Do you know, do you know, do you know that you're going to heaven? Jesus has changed your life. His spirit is living in you. Do you know? If you don't, and today you want to know, you want to make sure, you want to enter into a relationship with God, then I encourage you to pray this prayer to him right now. Dear God, come to you today admitting that I'm a sinner. I've disobeyed you. I've lived my life like I'm God, making my own decisions, going my own way. I'm sorry. I don't want to live in rebellion anymore. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth. I believe you died on that cross to pay my sin debt. I believe you rose from the grave, defeating sin and death for me. And today I'm turning from sin. And I'm trusting you. Take control of my life. Fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new, I pray. With your head still bowed, your eyes still closed. If you're here today and you're already a believer, and you've been trying to waffle through life, living with one foot in the world and one foot committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, Today, I'm asking you to move on the side of the line that is total commitment to Jesus. And if you're willing to do that, I'm asking you right now, in the silence of this moment, just to surrender all to him, asking him to give you the power and the strength to live a life that is pleasing to him. Do that right now. Father God, this is your day. And our only prayer is that you'll have your way in each and every person's life that is here. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.